0: Welcome to the Conversion Tracking Playbook, where we share how to overcome tracking challenges that e-commerce brands face today and real-world examples of transforming data into insights. Welcome back to another episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. I'm your host, Brad Redding, and I have two special guests today. This is our first time with uh, a I was going to actually use a phrase, I'm not going to use it, but three of us on the uh, podcast today. John, you are going to be the host, so why don't you uh, kick things off and introduce our special guest today?
1: Yeah, sure. So, hey everyone, we have Andrew Campbell with us. He's uh, the head of data at OpenStore, one of the most interesting people we get to talk to on a regular basis here. And uh, I think what I'll do is I'll let Andrew give you a little bit of background on his background and then also on... What Open Store is and what they do. So, welcome, Andrew.
2: Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to get to hang with members of the L of our team. We've been working with you guys for, I think, like over a year, almost a year now. It's been a great journey in solving the problems of uh, attribution and ad networks and pixels. Um, certainly, a topic I've become definitely like pretty passionate <laughs> about. But I haven't always been this way. Like you mentioned, I'm not from the world of e-commerce. I kind of grew up in in hedge funds. I spent seven years at quantitative hedge funds, most recently at Citadel in Chicago, where I worked on five-day holding period equities trading strategies. So a very niche part of finance building investment engines purely with code and software, no human intervention in the process, fully systematic, just taking data and figuring out how to trade lots and lots of different assets really quickly and around like a year and a half ago got in contact with the open store team and was just totally nerd sniped by the idea like this is a open source is an attempt to take a quantitative approach to an industry that has kind of been stuck in between you know being a next-gen tech first uh, like area of innovation as well as a traditional, you know, classic retail problem of e-commerce. More specifically, OpenStore is a new way for e commerce merchants on the Shopify platform to sell their business. So we offer merchants who've built their business up to say like a half a million to $10 million of, of trailing revenue, the opportunity to come to our site, plug in their Facebook, Google, Shopify data with just a few clicks We get that data downloaded, or able to offer them a bid to buy their business, um, and can close a deal in just a matter of a few weeks. So end to end, it's the fastest M and A process for a Shopify store in the West. And we're also operating these businesses, so not attempting to flip them or sell them to someone down the road, but rather grow them and pay back our investment on the business through good operation of these stores. And so. As we've gone along um, over the course of last year, we've now bought a bunch of these businesses. We're learning a lot about how to operate them effectively, um have made some significant progress in our ability to run supply chain, run marketing. But all of this is headed towards an eventual goal of delivering to the consumer a new way of discovering d two c brands. We think that there's the first problem we've set about solving is really a problem on the merchant side, which is, I've built this great business, I don't have anyone who wants to buy it from me, I'm good at zero to one, there's no one who will systematically and fairly price my business and then take it from one to 10 or one to 100. That's one set of problems that we've been laser focused on solving. But sort of the next frontier of this business is um, to find a way to aggregate these brands in such a way that we can offer the consumer an interesting new way to discover their next favorite brand.
1: Very cool. So... Thanks for the the good intro. I think maybe we can talk about. I have some questions on OpenStore and exactly how it all works, but I think maybe we should sort of preface things with just this idea. I remember the first time I talked to you, you were talking about signal versus noise. And I think that that's, I think that's kind of an interesting like lens to look through all of this. Maybe you could just kind of like touch on what that means at a high level and like how kind of you're doing that at a high level at open store
2: yeah i think the gist of it is that we're looking at all these data sets um across that describe everything a merchant does from how they run supply chain to how they run marketing and in those processes there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of like idiosyncratic blips that drive day-to-day performance across this big pool of merchants. And what we're trying to do is tease out the things that really matter, the things that really move the needle. And that can be difficult to do when you're only looking at one merchant at a time or a small subset of data, because maybe the ratio of signal to noise is quite low. But the more data you have and the more time you have in your data set, the greater your ability to tease out where the true signal is. And so thinking about our, like, this is kind of a wonky, like theoretical way of thinking about our data set. But I think it, it's really real is that it's it's an advantage that we are gathering as a portfolio player because we have all this data across a number of stores. We're able to, to tease out the levers to pull better than we would be able to if we were just running, say, like one or two stores. Brad,
1: you had some questions on just like the data warehousing. And platform reporting might be a good time to get into those.
0: Yeah. So one, one thing we are hearing from merchants, small scale, large scale, and everything in between is the industry, once again, is forcing us to adapt and forcing brands to adapt. So specifically in this case, it's sunsetting universal analytics, everyone moving to GA4. GA4 largely is a black box and it's very... It's just different. So it's hard. We all have that muscle memory of logging Universal Analytics, go to these three different reports and look at these dimensions and yada, yada, yada. And you can't do that in GA4. So what I've been seeing is a very intentional move from brands historically relying on GA in the interface that are now moving more to building their own data warehouse. So with GA4, that is a big benefit is you can toggle a switch, connect to BigQuery and basically build a data stream directly in BigQuery and then start building some more real-time reporting on top of BigQuery, and that's where you get into data warehousing and blending data from different sources. So that's something that we're seeing again on an individual brand scale. So I think maybe just for for those that have honestly no experience getting into a true data warehouse structure, how do you think about a data warehouse? What's the what's the value? What's the the benefit? What's the investment behind that? And then there's I have some other follow-up questions.
2: This is a topic uh, near and dear to my heart as a data lead here at OpenStore. So, the core rationale behind us building our own data warehouse, our own source of truth, is really to enable portfolio wide metrics. Like, one of the problems, the limitations of all of these tools like GA or looking at in platform data or looking directly at Shopify is that they're not set up to facilitate calculating what is the profit that the entirety of the open store portfolio made today, or to look for problems or opportunities across a number of brands to decide how we prioritize our time. There's not much on the market today that's, that's set up to facilitate that. So we naturally drifted towards building a lot of this internally. There's another core advantage to building your own data warehouse, which you touched on, which is blending data sources. So we think about attribution and making decisions on ad platforms as you know like decision that's motivated by multiple different data sources we want to see our in-platform ROAS right next to our GA last last click ROAS and contextualize different data sets to make to make decisions so and that only becomes possible when you start actually managing the data yourself and so those are probably the two biggest reasons there's a variety of other like More nuanced technical reasons, you really want to own your own KPI definitions. And behind all these platforms, there's sometimes a lot of ambiguity about how a certain number is calculated. If you can pull that data and recalculate it yourself, then you know for sure. But largely those like portfolio level metrics and then the ability to blend different data sets in single in a single view are the main motivations. And so when we started out we quickly discovered that there are a lot of nice tools that allow you to kind of stitch together data pretty in a pretty straightforward way. One of those that's been a major building block for us is FiveTran. So we're able to pull data from a full rainbow of different sources via FiveTran, be it Facebook Ads, Google Ads, TikTok, GA, Shopify, you name it. Pull all that into a Snowflake instance. Initially the data is you know, it's, it's, you can give it like one table per brand, and then it's the process of stacking those tables all into single representations of different units. And then we produce derived metrics on top of them. We use a tool called dbt, that's for data build tool that is ideally suited for a user that knows SQL, but wants to express nice, clean aggregations and documented KPIs that they can use to drive the business.
0: Yeah. So for brands and many of our customers listen to this podcast that they're not under the open store umbrella, they're independent operating brands. Is it a certain size? Is it attributes of a brand? Is it team members, skill sets that they have where it makes sense to invest in going the DIY data warehouse and starting to build that robust functionality out internally? Again, size of business, attributes, etc.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, this is an interesting question because certainly the Bar has been lowered in terms of like the staffing you would need to build your own data warehouse. Like when I started out in data scientists, you needed to hire like a team of people who knew Spark and Python to do all of these things. And now with the advent of you know Fivetran, which is like ETL as a service, with with DBT coming along, kind of dominating the uh, the KPI definition space. Now the bar has really been reduced to some amount of data fluency and SQL and that's kind of it all you need to build your own data warehouse when this is actually useful i would say i'm not totally sure i haven't sat in the seat of an individual brand operator before but i would say that if you know if you're running into the realm of like 10 million plus of revenue seems like something where you're you're at the scale where like some pretty fine optimizations can yield like really nice return on investment where having full mastery over the data could unlock some of those like smaller incremental wins that have meaningful dollars attached to them
1: yeah
0: yeah so it comes back to leverage so if if there's the opportunity for high leverage with going this route doesn't have to be super complex then that is an avenue to consider you so you started to touch on in platform reporting like Facebook, GA, Google Ads, et cetera. How do you balance that versus what you've built with your team? Is it a are you ingesting all those metrics? Are you doing uh all right, let's blow up two windows and look and compare them to one another and see see if everything matches up or see where the anomalies
2: lie? We So we're pulling all that data into the same place, which makes it really easy to put the numbers side by side. We use Tableau as our core dashboarding tool. Um, we're also just huge fans of automating dumps of data to Google Sheets and uh, building the analysis there. Like, I feel strange saying this as like a leader in data, but like Google Sheets is the most amazing BI tool ever built by man. Everyone knows how to use it. Lingua Franca, like it is remarkable how powerful it can be as an analytics tool if you connect it to your data in the right way. Automate the refreshes of the data so that you're actually looking at live data with little human input. But going back to your original question, we definitely always put the ga numbers next to the in-platform numbers and we actually track how they diverge or how they track relative to one another as a totally separate line item so we can sometimes use that metric of how they're tracking together as you know a leading indicator of any issues we may have with our tracking or with the ad platforms but also just to catch you know Weirdnesses and how Facebook or Google are attributing themselves data so we can make smarter budgeting decisions.
0: You're not lying about Google Sheets either. Uh, literally, Ron from Rockerbox slacked me last night and shared an example of one of their customers. I think it was on Twitter, but they were showcasing how they're using a mixed media modeling template with Rockerbox data just in a Google Sheet. So it was a analyst built it out and made it somewhat community based, and it was all in Google Sheets. So Google, Google wins again. So a couple more data warehousing questions and John, I'll kick it back to you. Where does the balance of, okay, data warehouse and big data blending, which is heavy on potentially attribution, obviously in your case, it's rolling up multiple stores and doing the bigger macro, the macro view of the business as a whole. Where does that analysis end? So do you start getting into onsite behavior analysis, which gets into conversion rate optimization and okay, we're running this campaign, we're split testing five different landing pages, and we want to understand just the on-page experience and flow and that to the add-to-cart ratios to checkout ratios. Are you getting that in-depth in your data warehouse, or do you still feel like the best tool for that was still an analytics or uh, amplitude, mixed panel, heap, etc.?
2: Yeah, this is a really interesting question. It's one we've actually debated quite a bit. Um, so, We have gone about this in the order of, we started out just using these basic features that UA gives you to make like, you know, first judgment decisions about like, okay, here's what the, you know, UTM parameters were. Here's how many pages the person visited. That gets you somewhere. Quickly, we realized like it's pretty limiting. We don't really have a full understanding of how a lot of this stuff is defined, Kind of need to be in a position where we like have greater ownership over the exact definitions of like, well, like what is a bounce, like what is an add to cart, and so we moved on to driving those figures ourselves directly from the GA4 event stream, and now pretty much all of our on-site analytics are built directly off the GA4 um, event stream, which is which is great. But over time, we've discovered that like. While it's been straightforward for us to put together dashboards that give you the basics about site funnels, we get a lot of questions to the data team as uh, around these like double clicks of like, well, what if you break it out this way? Like, what does the, the you know funnel look like for this subset of products versus this subset of products? And we've quickly realized that like building all of that ourselves is probably not the way to go. Um, we have actually been exploring amplitude as sort of like an escape hatch solution for when there is a really hairy set of questions around like a double click, we can use an existing, very expressive funnel analysis tool to to get that answer really quickly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's not surprising. And it probably just goes back to if you have 50 stores, the funnels within each store, they're so different and unique. And right now, I mean, John, just from the Elevar side, it's something we've talked about is creating a schema for just behavior event tracking so for tracking the main navigation or video watches or whatever it might be like some unique feature depending on who's setting up that tracking for the 50 different sites they're likely to be named differently so if we can create a, a uniform schema and and tie that into potentially some just easier analysis and uh, can make some of these downstream uh, analysis, whether you're feeding it to GA4 or Amplitude, et cetera, because ultimately it comes down to the input. We, we still need to provide that input to Amplitude and GA4 when those funnels are being built. Interesting to hear that you haven't solved that use case because if you have solved that use case of the behavior analysis, your email inbox would be flooded because that is a hu- huge trend that I keep hearing over and over going into 2023. And we're, we're just talking to our customers What's the biggest need you have going into next year and conversion rate optimization and and quote unquote getting more out of our data that we're collecting today, is largely number one. So when you solve it, uh, let everyone know and you'll uh, you'll, you'll get really busy. On t- yeah, if you're not already I busy absolutely now.
2: will. And I'll, I will second that bit you said about um, you know the tagging being set up correctly. Like this is this all is only possible on a portfolio level if the tagging is uniform. And when we buy these businesses. The tags are in, John can test this. Like the tags are in every form you can possibly imagine. So um, it, all, it all starts with the raw data.
0: All right, John, I'll uh, hand it back to you uh, unless you have anything else on the data warehousing side.
1: No, so I want to I get into the nitty gritty just a tiny little bit. It's just, you know, stuff that I've been curious about. So everybody typically has a couple stats that they look at every day. They look at like their bounce rate or their conversion rate and maybe for good or bad. I'm kind of wondering, not at the portfolio level, but, and maybe you guys don't really do this, but at the store level, what is that like one or those two metrics that you do look at that help guide you on a store level? Do you have those or is it just all rolled up always?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting distinction between like the rolled up and the per store. We I would say when we started out, everything was per store, where where these stores are individual, like there's very little overlap between them. And we're really just concentrated on turning the knobs. We know how to turn across marketing and and supply chain and retention. But as we've grown, we started thinking about KPIs a little bit more along the portfolio level where like there's this North Star set of KPIs of, Hey, we want to optimize for the contribution profit of our entire portfolio, and even more nuanced, we want to think about like, well, across our entire portfolio, how many repeat conversions per last 30 day customer are we driving? And that defining the KPIs that way on a portfolio level actually leads you to make different decisions than you would if you were just managing the brands individually. You start thinking a lot more about a your acquisitions like acquiring brands that have these characteristics So when you add to the portfolio they drive your number in the direction you want but also thinking about how you're leveraging your position as a portfolio to make the number better so for example thinking about the number of like transactions per customer given we have this you know pretty unique portfolio of brands cross marketing the brands you know sending customers from one brand email advertising related products from another brand can be a really great way to drive up our repeat transactions per customer using our position as a portfolio. So we're trending in that direction. But by and large, the, the core KPIs remain like driving contribution profit. We're very dialed in on the efficiency of our ads and kind of all the numbers that roll into ad efficiency standards, like you know our cost per impression, click, acquisition, in-platform, GA, that kind of thing.
1: Interesting. Okay. Maybe one more related one and then we'll move on. But are there any commonly held beliefs that I think you came into this business about a year and a half ago? Is that roughly right? From the hedge fund world?
2: Yeah, that's right. Are are there any
1: commonly held beliefs that, you know, like the the typical maybe e-commerce manager or just a merchant has that you found are maybe not right or totally
2: false? Yeah, this is an interesting one because you're right in pointing out I have come into this as an outsider. There are a couple. One is that, so I, I entered the e-com world in an interesting time and in that I entered pretty much right after the iOS 14 changes that sort of like wiped away a lot of the effectiveness of, um, of Facebook tracking by kind of getting rid of the um, mobile cookies. And the like the common wisdom is like ah oh, like this is what has you know made it harder to make money on the ad platforms. But I've looked at data now across like many many stores. Right, we price a lot of businesses, we run a lot of businesses, and I actually have like a pet theory here, which is that people over attribute the say like inflation of CPMS or like degradation of. Um, ad efficiency over the course of the last uh, two year and a half, two years, two years. Yeah, almost exactly two years in, in the spring. But people over attribute that difficulty running ads recently to these iOS 14 changes. When if you look at the data, one striking thing we see across a lot of these merchants we price is that they all happen to start like these businesses, you know, towards the beginning of 2021, late 2020 and they're ramping up spend this entire time. And so I've also like played around with this looking at just Facebook's financials, but there are more ad dollars chasing a relatively stagnant pool of impressions over time. And that is what is almost certainly contributing to inflation in CPM. So I am a little bit skeptical that all the degradation, I'm sure part of it is attributable to iOS 14, but that people actually forget how much of an impact just shifts in brand behavior and and like what demand for advertising units can do to a marketplace like uh, like Facebook ads.
0: That is, I've never heard that character characterization before about the inflation on CPMS and the basically using the inventory versus a spend. We're gonna snip at that. We gotta. We need to cut that one out because there aren't that many there talking about that angle, and and probably not many people that are actually comparing their own data to Facebook's uh, publicly reported data and seeing if some of those trend lines match up. So that's interesting. Good question, John.
1: Hmm. Let's uh, let's zoom out a little bit and talk about open source and just like how this all works. So you told us a little bit about how you acquire brands, but what? What are you guys looking for? Do you will you buy any brands? Will you is there certain like numbers that they have to be hitting? How do you think about valuations?
2: Yeah. So we've been on this journey now for about a year and a half um and it's been like super interesting to see how our how our valuation acquisition process has evolved over time and actually how much we've sort of gotten right from the start but We're looking for profitable D2C businesses with relatively straightforward supply chain and operations characteristics. So for example, like we're not capable of buying anything that involves a really heavyweight manufacturing process that the merchant runs themselves, or we can't really buy a business where the founder sells everything from their personal Instagram account. But Barring those sort of edge cases, we're pretty much category agnostic. We're buying stores across a wide variety of products, wide variety of customer bases. And this is intentional for a couple of reasons. One is that we want to figure out what we're good at, right? Like before we started, we didn't really know, hey, what should be our specialty or do we want to have a specialty? And so we've been approaching this problem as like exploring this space, finding where people need someone to sell their business to, where we are able to add value, which will help shape future acquisitions. But also we want to be able to eventually deliver cross-selling of brands across categories. We think that this is something like no one has really done or attempted in a meaningful way. You know, most of the cross-promotion you see is very narrowly confined to a single category. Um, We think that that's actually like a real miss, that there is an opportunity to acquire a customer and introduce them to super interesting products that cross the boundary of what people would ordinarily consider a good cross sell. So yeah, looking for all kinds of uh, profitable businesses.
1: Cool. So are you guys actually thinking about that when you do your acquisition? It's almost like, is there a chance that there's some cross marketing, cross promotion that could be done on this business with some of the businesses that we own? Or is it more based on just the metrics when you do the acquisition?
2: I would say we're we're kind of just getting there. You know, before we had critical mass of brands, it wasn't really worth it to think too much about how they would interact with one another. But now that we've made it towards an increasingly large portfolio, it it's definitely something we're considering um, and in the future will be folded into our valuation process in a very formal way.
1: Hmm, cool. And when you guys do buy sorry, Brad, go for it.
0: No, no, you go. You go.
1: When you guys do buy a business, what does it look like? Do you? What's the takeover of the business look like? How long does it take?
2: So yeah, we pride ourselves on being like the simplest, lowest stress cash out option out there for small e-com merchants. We can turn around a valuation for your business in less than 24 hours. Um, and we, I can tell you like my team has worked very hard to make all those data pipelines and Human processes run in uh, that amount of time. But like post offer accept, the process typically looks like, you know, maybe like one or two weeks of diligence where we just square away all the details of what we would need to do to, to actually run the business. And then we do ask the merchants to stay involved with us and might like, be able to answer questions on Slack for, you know, at least like a month or so after a close of the deal, just to make sure everything gets properly transitioned over. But End to end, we're striving to make this as quick as possible. We can usually have the merchant totally cashed out and walking away in around like a month after the close.
0: So I have a question a little bit out, maybe coming out of left field here, but you, even in your intro, this spurred this reminder, I need to bring this up later in in the combo. So previous career in, in my own, about 12 years ago, my first startup. It was the way I've I described it now is it's Etsy for independent boutiques and retailers. So essentially what we would do is it was a marketplace where we would have different retailers and brands that would onboard into the platform. But then on the shopper side, what we would do is walk them through essentially a questionnaire. So what type of products do you like? What brands do you like? What size are you? Anything you're interested in? And then we would use that input to create a personalized and curated shopping feed to show them, oh, here's a boutique in New York City you might like, and here's a boutique in Chicago you might like, and they can actually buy and check out those products all at once. But it was largely it was driven on the shopper input, so their account details, attributes, etc. So when you were describing the vision of like this curated marketplace, or maybe didn't use the term marketplace, but this curated experience for shoppers, where you have potentially hundreds of brands that obviously there's going to be cross-sell opportunities. Is that maybe this too much? So feel free to uh, plead the fifth, but is that part of the vision where John would essentially onboard, he would be, come through a prospecting campaign and do a store and you'd somehow get his account sign up where he's sharing a few attributes. It might be one or two at a time, but you're ultimately trying to access a little bit more data from John besides just his email address that you, you might not be able to backfill with clear bit data, etc. But some interest-based uh, attributes where you could then apply that into this bigger machine, so to speak, where, okay, now you know John will be a great fit for brand A, brand B, brand C, and then use that to help make some of the cross-selling smarter. So, again, a very long-winded uh, intro in question, but... Does that is that kind of the, the vision that you're going for on the shopping or the shopper aspect versus the store merchant aspect?
2: Yeah, it's a little bit TVD what this is actually going to look like. And we we talk about it a lot. And I think definitely stay tuned for the first half of, of 2023. There's some good stuff baking, but certainly like a core part of all of this as you caught on to is the data, right? Like in order to deliver an excellent cross-selling experience, there needs to be some sort of data edge, some like information we have about the customer that can let us do good recommendations. And I think that to first order, simply having this purchase behavior of knowing the first brand they interacted with, what pages they visited, what kind of product they ended up buying is a very, very strong feature for indicating what their future you know, purchase behavior might look like. But then you start supplementing that with demographic features and maybe some like quiz features, like you mentioned, um, and you can quickly come to a pretty unique data advantage in, in delivering good recommendations. So we're thinking a lot about it. Um, nothing firm yet. Prob- Andrew tuned. did not pay
0: me to tee that up, by the way. It was a honest question. Because <laughs> uh, I, I, I yeah. honestly, many times I look back at that business, I was like, oh man, it was way too early. It was too early. We, uh, the market wasn't mature enough. But anyways, very cool. John,
1: (laughs) maybe hopping back just real quick to like this process of taking over the business and and what happens. I guess I'm curious after you guys take over the business, is there something like you talked a little bit about going from zero to one, the merchants kind of go from zero to one and you guys kind of take it from one to 10. Is there something that you always notice with the acquisitions where that's not being done? or something wrong that's being done that you guys fix or change and are able to kind of take it to the next step? Like, is it personnel? Is it advertising? Is there something specific?
2: Yeah. I would say that, you know, each, each merchant we acquire is a little bit different in their strengths and weaknesses, which is honestly like one of the amazing parts of this journey is like we've had the opportunity now to meet dozens and dozens if not hundreds of small D2C e-com entrepreneurs who each in their own right are maybe like top, you know, decile in one or two of the various like competencies that go into running a good e-commerce business and so you can kind of think about what we're trying to do is really like aggregate all those best practices and apply them holistically across our entire portfolio of brands But I would say like some common denominators folks definitely struggle with are like the basics of configuring their site, getting apps to play well together, setting up pixels, setting up tagging. There's a lot of, I think there are a lot of pain points when it comes to standing up a Shopify store, you know, totally correctly. Like Shopify is amazing because it allows someone with very little technical know-how to get... A relatively sophisticated store up and running with a number of integrations. But there's kind of like that last couple of steps to making everything like truly seamless, that is requires like a much greater investment. And so we've been thinking hard about like, how to systematize that how to make sure that we are, you know, punching at AA plus level for all of our stores. I think similarly, there's a lot of like sneaky complexity in supply chain. And so You know, even stuff as simple as, like, how you route the order to your 3PL. Is your 3PL reporting inventory back to you in the correct way? Like, we've actually been investing pretty heavily in building our own stack um, of tools around the the supply chain, demand planning, procurement functions um, that we think will turn into significant steps up over, like, what any, you know, individual merchant um, could pull off.
1: Well, I think we touched on everything that I wanted to touch on. I think uh, it was awesome having you on here. And you and your team have such great insight into not only the data, but just into e-com in general. So pleasure to talk to you. And I, I don't know, if Brad, if you have anything else for Andrew, but...
0: I'm just, I'm very curious what this 2023 carrot uh, is that you mentioned.
2: <laughs> we got, yeah, we got a, we stay, stay tuned. We got a... Uh... Big team of total rock stars here here in Miami. So, if building yeah. a uh, next generation platform for D 2 C e commerce sounds interesting to you, please get in touch with us. We are actively hiring across a number of functions: data, design, marketing, uh, supply chain, you name it. Um, so, yeah, go work Hop at on the board. beach. Go work at go Miami work beach. at the beach. Yeah, yeah. we are not on the beach. We are near the beach, um, yeah. but we're getting well, actual in, work done If someone's here. coming
0: from Iowa and you're like a, a stone's throw from the beach, you are you are on the beach.
2: It is nice and warm here. It's a lovely December day. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for uh, joining us, Andrew. How can people get in touch with you or the Open Store team?
2: Yeah, I'm uh, Andrew at Open Store, or you can find me on Twitter at TheAndyCamps. All right.
0: What's the story behind that?
2: It's just an old handle. (laughs) (laughs) Sounded like a good idea in 2009.
0: (laughs) Nice. All right. Thanks, Andrew. John, anything else? No, thanks again, Andrew. Thanks, Brad.
2: Thank you both. Pleasure.
0: Did you enjoy today's episode? If so, we release two new episodes per week. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else that you subscribe and listen to your podcasts. I also have a favor to ask. I'd really appreciate if you could leave a comment or review so I can learn exactly how to improve future episodes for you. And last but not least, if you want to connect with me, find me on LinkedIn by searching Brad Redding at Elevar. That's E L E V A R. Or you can DM me on Twitter. My handle is I am Brad Redding. I look forward to connecting with you. Thanks again.